0: welcome to the redemption church podcast we exist to become witnesses to god's new creation so that every man woman and child has a daily encounter with jesus we believe that as a family of servant missionaries we are empowered to participate in god's story because of the good news that king jesus is making all things new your Bibles please and turn to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31. As you're turning there, I want to remind us of something that probably most of us know, but it is often stated that our words have power. People get mad at me. I used to be more self-righteous about my word choice, but when people would say church, I'd be like, You mean the people or the building? Which one are you talking about? Or when people say heaven, I'm like, oh, you mean new creation? And I would, you know, just be a little jerk, you know, like wake up. Because words have meanings. Words have significance. It's not just semantics to call the church a people and not refer to this building as the church. It's not just semantics. Why is it not just semantics? Because if words have meaning those meanings inherently possess power to determine the course of people's entire lives in the sense of the phrase sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me correct but how many of you have deep wounds from the playground that you remember 50 years ago versus the wounds that have actually been committed against you with speech, with people's words, and how much emotional pain that that has created within you. We hear things in Christianity like we can speak things into existence. You ever heard that before? And so people think that power to speak things into existence. They have power to create. Our words have power. But Jesus, in this passage this morning, I want us to see actually has a different type of power, a more ultimate power. And I want to make this very bold claim for you this morning that the words you actually speak determine your final and ultimate destiny as a human being. That the words you speak have such power that they actually determine the course of your entire existence as a human being. So, your words are significant. They're meaningful. And what does Jesus have to say about them? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says this, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we examine this difficult passage, that the Spirit will give us understanding and make it simple that we can understand and comprehend, but not just with our minds, but with our hearts and our affections, that we will come to see how powerful our words are. So we ask for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The passage we come to today is a pretty common passage in, in Christianity. Anyone ever heard of what we'd call the unpardonable sin? Can you, as a Christian, commit some sin that is actually unforgivable? You know, can you, in a different realm, in a different worldview, can you commit any type of the unforgivable curses of the imperial curse or the is it up there? Yeah. Of the Avada Kedavra. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? And if you commit any of these curses, you, you cast any of these spells, what happens to you? Come on, Harry Potter geeks. It's okay. I'm with you. You all know. For how long? For life. You are destined to Azkaban, hell, for life, to have your soul sucked out by big, scary ghosts. Like this is, in a sense... A picture of what Jesus is actually saying today, that there actually is an unforgivable sin. Now you're like, wait a second, I thought Jesus came to forgive every sin of all types, no matter what, no matter how bad you are. Are there really sins that I can commit, that I can, will not receive eternal life? And I want to say to you, yes, yes but what is that sin? What are those sins? I I hear oftentimes that people ask me and believe that if a person commits suicide, they can never go to heaven. You ever heard this phrase before? And then of course, what would I say? Well, they, you mean the new creation because back anyways. So the idea is that if you commit suicide as a Christian, you could never enter uh, into the afterlife in heaven. And I don't think that's true. I don't think the Bible ever says that. I don't think just because you commit suicide, that is the unpardonable sin. Other people speak about other different unpardonable sins, and I don't want to go through all of them, but I just want to look at this passage this morning, that what Jesus is saying is that there is a sin that you can commit, that if you do not change your mind of, you will be cast out forever. And so let's look at this idea of number one, just what does it mean to blaspheme? We're talking about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin. What does the word blaspheme mean? First of all, the idea of blaspheme has the idea of speaking against something. The religious leaders that Jesus is attacking here, that he's addressing, were blaspheming the spirit. They were speaking against the spirit. They were giving credit to someone other than the Spirit of God for these miraculous activities. But blaspheming is not just words, it's not just speech. Uh, On the screen for you, I have a passage from the Old Testament that the Jews would be very well aware of in Numbers chapter 15, it says this, anyone who sins defiantly, whether native born or foreigner, whether he's a Jew by birth or someone who's come into Judaism... They blaspheme the Lord. So here, blaspheming is not just a speaking action. It's actually a doing. Someone who sins defiantly. So if a Jewish person to blaspheme was to speak against and to have a life that goes against, and specifically Yahweh, to go against God. And now the Jews would have all these debates, like, what does it mean to sin defiantly? How could you blaspheme? What do you do to blaspheme? Is it speaking against the Torah? Is it doing this? And there'd be all these different debates. American evangelicalism is not much different than first century Judaism. We'd have all these debates about all these different things, and they'd have all these ideas about what blasphemy is. What Jesus says is that, first of all, blaspheming is the idea that you are speaking against and living contrary to what God has set up. The second thing I want to take note of in this passage is that the idea is that we are blaspheming the Spirit. When you do that... When you are speaking against the Spirit, you will never be forgiven. Powerful phrase from Jesus. You will never receive forgiveness. Before we ask, what does this mean? How do you blaspheme the Spirit? I want to make a couple points ahead of that. We'll jump back into it. Number one, the first thing we need to see is that Matthew makes it abundantly clear that Jesus came to forgive people of their sins. Matthew chapter 1, he bookends his entire gospel in Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the book. He says, she, Mary, will give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus. Why? Because that means he will save his people from their sins. At the end of the book, in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, with his disciples, is doing the Last Supper, and he says, this blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus says, I came into this world for forgiveness, and now I'm going to the cross for forgiveness. So the first thing I want to see is that Jesus came to bring forgiveness to people. But the second thing we see throughout the book of Matthew is that Matthew makes it quite clear that the role of the Spirit of God is involved in the forgiveness of sins. In fact, it's bo- he's partaking. The Spirit of God is the one who actually makes Mary pregnant. The virgin birth that we speak of was Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he tells the Holy Spirit, he tells Joseph that later in a dream. But the Spirit of God is also important upon the life and ministry of Jesus that when he gets baptized, the Father speaks over him this declaration that this is my beloved Son. And the Spirit of God in the form of a dove descends upon Jesus. And what we see is this intimate connection between the Spirit of God and the life and the ministry of Jesus so that everything Jesus did came out of the empowerment of the Spirit of God who was indwelling him. As we saw a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18, that Jesus is the divine messianic servant from the book of Isaiah, of whom it is written in Isaiah chapter 42, that this is my servant whom I've chosen. I will put my spirit on him. And what we see is that there is this clear connection between the Spirit-empowered Jesus to be born of Mary, to do his miracles, to bring forgiveness to the nations, is intimately tied to the role and the ministry of the Spirit of God. However, Matthew then says that if you blaspheme the Spirit, you will not find forgiveness. Among the whole range of all the sins that we could think of, Jesus says, this is the one unpardonable sin. I mean, if I were to ask you, what are the unpardonable sins? As a Christian, you'd be like, well, I know every sin can be forgiven. But Hitler, Stalin, all these people who just murdered innocent people, that would be unforgivable in our eyes if we were God, right? People have betrayed you, have so deeply hurt you that you think that they don't deserve your forgiveness. They have committed the unpardonable sin. You have people in your life that have hurt you so bad that you refuse to forgive them? You're acting as if you're God, and that is the unpardonable sin. But of all the range... Of all of the sins that humans could ever commit, there is one unpardonable sin that Jesus speaks about, and it is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. So what is it? What does it mean? What does it look like to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Well, I want you to know it is not just saying, I don't know why Jesus gets a bad rap, but you know when people take the Lord's name in vain in America, they say, you know, like Jesus Christ. You ever heard anyone say, Holy Spirit? Holy <laughs> Spirit. You, know, you hear holy other words, but not Holy Spirit. Like Jesus gets the bad rap. He's the one who's all. everyone's using his name in, in wrong ways. So blasting the Holy Spirit is not just getting mad and saying Holy Spirit. Number two, it is not a formulaic statement. It's not just like this statement that you can say, you know what, I don't like the Spirit today. What also it does not mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit does not mean that you are either a cessationist or a charismatic. And if you know what those are, I'm sorry, if you don't know what those are, you're blessed. But the idea in, the, in the American Christianity is that we have these people who believe so heavily in the Spirit of God gifts that they're doing all these crazy, claiming, miraculous things, and then there's people who say, I want nothing to do with those people, and they come over here and say, none of the miraculous gifts that we see in the book of Acts are available today. And so these people look at these people, and these people look at these people and say, You're blaspheming the spirit. You're not believing in the spirit. Well, you don't use the spirit right. And there's this big argument. What I want you to know is that is not blaspheming the spirits. What is this blaspheming the spirit? Well, let's look at the immediate context. What is Jesus doing in this passage? Nate did an excellent job. I mean, I told him last week, one of the best sermons I've heard him preach in a long time, if you would missed it, it'll be on the internet in the next six months, so just wait for it. We'll find it, okay? And the idea is like, last week, he did a great job sharing about how Jesus went and plundered the house of Satan. There is these exorcisms that Jesus was doing, and, and, and the religious elite are coming up to him and saying... You're doing that by the power of Satan. And Jesus is like, you guys are are not just dumb. You're really dumb. You have the worst logic of all. Like, you think that I'm, by the power of Satan, casting out my minions. Like, that is not even logical. And what they were doing, the religious leaders, is that they were attributing the power of Jesus, which is intimately tied to who, church? The Spirit... And they were attributing that power to who? Satan. When God makes himself so present in such concrete and dramatic ways that to call his work the work of Satan is an extreme form of blasphemy. They were insulting the Spirit's work in the life and the ministry of Jesus. They actually believed that Jesus' power was satanically induced. God's Spirit was not the one who was being elevated. In fact, they were rejecting the Spirit of God. And they should not be rejecting the Spirit of God because they were very clear about who the Spirit of God was. Sometimes I think as New Testament Christians, we have the Spirit and we know all about the Spirit. And those Old Testament saints, poor people, they had very little knowledge about the Spirit of God. And that is not true at all. We might have more understanding and further revelation of what the Spirit of God is. But Matthew and all these other religious people understood the Spirit of God. So for instance, one example in Isaiah chapter 63... Isaiah speaks about Israel grieving the Holy Spirit during the rebellion against Moses when they were being led out of Egypt. If you remember those stories where Israel is like crumbling, complaining and being like, man, I want to go back to Egypt. They had great bagels and I have to sit here and eat manna. And there's all this complaining and this grief. And, uh, and Isaiah is like, that is grieving the Spirit. That is blaspheming the Spirit's. So to blaspheme the spirit, to bring everything to a conclusion here, and I have this on the screen, to blaspheme the spirit is to speak against and to reject the work of the spirit through the messianic servants. It is choosing to be on the wrong side of the war. You refuse to believe what God is actually doing through his spirits. That's what blasphemy is. But then the next question is even more difficult. Why is this sin unforgivable? Why would this understanding of attributing to Satan what the Spirit should be doing, what God is doing, unforgivable? It is unforgivable because to deny what the Spirit is doing for God through the Son in the world... Means that you are excluded from what God is doing in the world. So that if you reject the Spirit and the Father, you are rejecting everything that the Spirit and the Father are doing in and for the world. You cannot find forgiveness if you reject the Father and the Spirits. That's why it's unforgivable. But it gets even crazier. Sometimes, I mean, I, I, I wish Jesus right here could ask some questions. But Jesus then says this. Look at verse 33. This is, this is like, if we were stopping right there, I'd be okay. But then he says this. Anyone who speaks a word of blasphemy, speaks blasphemy against the Son of Man, will be forgiven. Wait a second. <laughs> I can speak against your work, Jesus, and find forgiveness, but I can't speak against the Spirit's work and find forgiveness. Anyone find that a little like weird? Like, come on, Jesus, what are you doing here? Is this semantics? Are you just playing games with us? So what is Jesus doing here? I think the best way to make sense of this, from all of the study I've been doing and have done, is to put yourself in the context of where Jesus is in the moment. He has not yet gone to the cross. He has not yet resurrected from the grave. There are lots of people who are standing right there alongside, outside of, watching all of these miracles, trying to figure out who this Jesus is. In fact, we learn later that one of the people who are at the crucifixion and watching and understanding all the things that are going on with Jesus is this person named Saul. You ever heard of him? He wrote most of our New Testament. And he went around killing Christians and insulting Christians and blaspheming Jesus. So why could he be forgiven? Because there seems to be this time period in which Jesus is allowing these people to still figure out who he is and what he's doing. He's like, you may not understand who I am right now, you may not understand the full significance of who and what I've came to do, but that is still coming. And so you can reject me right now, but still believe that God is at work in the world through his spirit to bring redemption to all the nations and not see that that's me yet, And so Jesus is actually looking around to all these people in kindness and saying, you still can see me and come to know who I am more as I go to the cross. It wasn't obvious to everybody that Jesus was the Son of Man. That he was the Son of God. But it should have been absolutely obvious that the Spirit of God was the one who was casting out the demons. And so what the religious leaders were doing is that they were calling good evil and they were calling evil good they were missing the point that a completely upside down set of values so to sum up jesus is saying That to blaspheme the spirit is unforgivable because you are attributing the work of the spirit of God to the enemy. And that is unforgivable because you will never be a part of what God is doing in the world through his spirit. And yet you could reject Jesus and blaspheme him because the full understanding of who he is has not yet been made known. But Jesus is not done with the Pharisees. Like if that wasn't enough... He's going to dig a little bit deeper. And I think this digging a little bit deeper actually is more for us. Because I think most of us would not be blaspheming the spirit, rejecting that God is at work in the world through his spirit, and attributing all of that to the wrong enemy. In fact, Jesus is going to continue to attack the Pharisees' speech. And what he's going to do in Jesus-like fashion is dig deep, down to the bottom of their speech. Why are they blaspheming the Spirit? Why are they rejecting the Messiah? And as we dig down deep, we're going to see that words that in actions that you could do that would be unpardonable, also your words are going to come to know, you're going to come to see that your words have the power to justify you or condemn you. Look in verse 34. Sorry, verse 33. Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruits. So Jesus, we looked at this a long, long time ago. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus used the imagery of a tree. A good tree can only produce good fruit, and a bad tree can only produce bad fruit. You don't have this really dead, dying tree with beautiful, vibrant apples falling down. And Jesus was making that case about what was in the hearts of the people. And so he's coming back to the same imagery of a tree. And if you make it good, it's going to be good. If you make a tree bad, it's going to have bad things around it, in it, coming from it. And Jesus then says, you brood of vipers. Uh, This is the second of three times that Jesus calls the religious leader snakes. I think there's a couple of reasons why he uses snakes. Number one, he says in John chapter 8, you are of your father, the devil, talking to the religious leaders that you belong to Satan, you belong to the original serpents. But secondly, he uses the idea for religious leaders of snakes is because they're spreading their poison. They're spreading their evil around this first century Jewish context. And he says, how can you who are evil say anything good? Can you imagine Jesus just telling you that, looking at you in the face saying, you're evil. How can you say anything good? Me as a lawyer, I'd have my 15 reasons why I can say good things. But Jesus says, you're a bad tree. How do you expect to have good fruits? And then notice... Verse 35, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings things out of the evil stored up in him. Jesus is now saying, we're not just talking about fruits and trees. These fruits and trees are actually people. And if there's good in you, good is going to come out of you. If there's evil in you, evil is going to come out of you. Because I tell you in verse 36, that everyone... We'll have to give an account for the words that you speak. Now, I don't know if you noticed something. I missed the phrase. I missed that phrase on purpose. If you go to the end of verse 34. What is the whole point of this imagery? Jesus says the whole point of this imagery is, according to the NIV, it says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I think the ESV in the Greek literally says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is the essence of what Jesus is getting to. That the good tree and the bad tree is a good heart and a bad heart. And the things that are stored up in the good heart, the good tree, is going to come out good things. And the the person who has an evil heart and an evil tree is going to come out evil. Why? Because out of the abundance of your heart, you speak. There's no empty words. There's no words that come out of your heart, out of your mouth, that are just like, well, I didn't mean it. You did mean it. There is a reason. The reason that they blaspheme the spirit is because the religious leaders had bad hearts. Their hearts were filled with evil, with self-righteousness, with pride, with sinful desires, and consequently, if that's what their hearts are like, their words are going to be blasphemy. They're going to be speaking evil. And the same is true for us. The words we speak match the values and the affections of our hearts your mouth reveals who you are and what you love if your heart is full of yourself guess what you talk about all the time if your heart is full of bitterness you speak very bitterly to people you ever heard the phrase hurt people hurt people if your heart is full of hurts what comes out of your heart heart hurt towards others. If your heart is full of anger, you speak angrily towards people. If you want to know someone, what they value, what they love, what they cherish, spend lots of time with them outside of this church building. Spend lots of time with them. And what will you get to know? Who they are, what they love, how? By what they talk about. But I challenge you to do something even more dangerous. I dare you, I double dare you, and no, you can't take the physical challenge. None. No none of you? Okay, two of you, okay, all right, one, all right. That's how old I am, my jokes have no power for Nickelodeon from 1990, okay? But I dare you to ask someone who is very close to you what you talk about all the time. You will love to find out what other people talk about. Not love, but maybe enjoy that, be like, ooh, I know what you love. But you probably don't want anyone close to you to tell you what you talk about all the time. See, in one sense, words are just words. But in another sense, your words reveal everything about you. In fact, Jesus says these words reveal so much about you that you need to understand that every word that you give, every word that you say will be judged. There's coming a day where you will stand before God. You can ignore it. You can deny it. You can despise it. But you will stand trial before the almighty God of the universe. And one day your mouth will be shut. And you'll be judged for every careless word you say. You'll be judged for every evil thing you've said, every mean thing you said, every gossiping speech that's come out of your mouth. And Jesus says, by these words, you'll be condemned or justified. How can Jesus say that the words that come out of my mouth will justify me or condemn me? I thought my eternal destiny rested on my faith in him, not on my actions. I thought my eternal destiny, that I would be a child of God, not by works, not by my speech, not by my mouth, but by my trust in him. And Jesus says, right, right. That's exactly right. And don't miss the connection here. Remember, Jesus said that your words flow out of where? The abundance of your hearts. Your words reveal your heart. And your words are either life-giving because your heart is good, or they are soul-sucking because your heart is bad. Your words are the fruit of your heart. So God is not going to just look at your heart. He's going to look at the evidence. And a heart that is turned to Jesus and been brought brand new and been given a new heart and new desires are going to have words of life. Words that are not careless. Jesus says you'll be judged for every careless word. Paul picks up on this imagery. He uses... Word Greek word, I'm not going to go through it, but very similar, same Greek words in this passage he does in Ephesians 4, where he says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, but only use words that help build other people up, that are edifying, that are encouraging, that are life-giving. So Jesus says you will be judged, not because of the words themselves, but because of where those words come from. But notice this too. In every sense, in, in essence, I want to say, everyone uses their speech and will be justified by their speech. Hang on with me for a minute. You're like, what do you mean? The question I want to ask you is, if every words that you give, all the words that you speak, I want to make a case there for justification. I want to ask the question, who do you want justification from in your speech? God? or yourself. Every careless word that is spoken is nothing more than an attempt for self-justification, self-righteousness. Why do you talk about yourself all the time? Because you don't believe in the justification you have in the person of Jesus so that you have to actually go find your own justification for existence, declaring yourself to be worth something, and so you talk about yourself because you want self-justification. Does that make sense? Why do you talk about the way other parents deal with their kids? Man, I was so self-righteous as if—I mean, I still am. But I have like a very narrow way of how you should train kids. And after my kids were eight and I got done trying to tell everyone how to parent their kids, I just got done, I'm like, I'm not telling anyone any advice ever again. Like, I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do, and you guys can have fun with your time out. I'm just kidding, you know, like, however you wanna do it, but I was so self-righteous about how other people deal with their kids. You know why? Because I had to be self-righteous as a parent. I had to find my worth as a parent. And the only way I could do it, one of the ways I could do it is make fun of other parents. Why do you gossip about other people? Or why do you love to be a part of gossip? Maybe you don't, love, you don't, maybe you don't go around actively gossiping, but when other people gossip, you're like, ooh, this is fun. Why? Because in putting others down, you elevate yourself. You're actually doing nothing more than self-justification. In other words, we could go on after example, after example, after example. But all of your speech, all of your careless words, I would argue ultimately would come back to your attempt for self-justification. And Jesus says, as long as you want to keep justifying yourself, you will be excluded from the kingdom of God. You will not understand the role of the spirit and you'll be blaspheming him. But, when Jesus is your treasurer, When you come to see that apart from Him you have nothing, you are nothing, and all of your vain attempts to find justification through your evil speech, he's still standing right over you, speaking to you, my beloved son, I have forgiven you. When you come to see that after 14 years of gossiping about other people's parents, that you are still no better off. In fact, you're far worse than you were 14 years ago. And then you come to see that in justification with Jesus, you just give it all to him. There's just such freedom. You can be like, parent your kid however you want. You want help? I'll come help you. But I don't have to find my justification in what you're not doing. I can find all that freedom in Jesus. So those people who use careless words for self-justification i want you to know something in some ways in a lot of ways you're no different than the pharisees who are a bunch of self-righteous sons of jerks and yet there's a word there are words that are being spoken over you by the actual messianic servant who is empowered by the Spirit to bring forgiveness to you that when you rest in His name and His work, there's justification. So, Father, help us be people who are careful with our words that we might find life, that we would be able to be people who not only do not blaspheme the Spirit. But they would be people who are so filled with the justification, our declaration being right in your sight because of Jesus and our sins being forgiven, that we will actually be able to speak words of life to people. Words that are life-giving and edifying and building each other up. So God, forgive us for our careless words. And make our hearts like yours. Renew our hearts this morning. We ask this for the sake of your kingdom. So that we as your people would leave here. Resembling the love of the new world that's to come together. That people might see that and be drawn to it. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.